I'm back for season five and I just wanted to quickly apologize for the hiatus. Um, If you follow my personal Instagram, you will know that it's been quite a busy summer slash fall for me. I moved uh, to New York from Austin in late June and then I was traveling for a lot of July settling into a new apartment in Brooklyn for August and spending time upstate in Lake George with my family. And then as of last week, I started my second year at Columbia for social work. And um, for context, I was doing the program online last year from Austin. So although I'm, you know, officially halfway done with the degree, it's a lot more real when you're going up to campus twice a week and, you know, taking eight hours of classes. It's a a lot, but um, it's been really wonderful. And then as of last Monday, I just started my internship at a private practice called Grounded Therapy, which is wild. Um, To actually, as a quick side note, this is my like third time recording this episode. So originally when I recorded it, I hadn't started school yet. It was still like you know, I still had plenty of time um, before getting into the grind of things, but due to some technical issues, I'm re-recording it. So here we are. But all that is to say is that I've had a lot on my plate and as much as I've wanted to record episodes for Solace in the City, unfortunately, I just, you know, I knew I had to um, focus and prioritize my schoolwork and um, my adjustment back into New York. So I could go a little bit more into just, you know, how much I'm loving it being back and how much anxiety has honestly been relieved. Um, I was really nervous to move back from Austin, especially after having such a wonderful time there. And as excited as I was to finish out my time at Columbia and to meet new people, there was a lot of worry about, you know, what if it doesn't live up to my expectations? What if I regret it? But I have to say I'm really happy being back and exploring Brooklyn and meeting new people at my program. So yeah, that's a little bit of just backstory and and an update, I guess. So my 28th birthday is a week away. And because of that, I've had the idea, um, you know, as I mentioned, this is my third time recording this, but now it's really a week away. So I I can, um, you know, talk about it as if it is approaching, which it is very quickly. But anyways, I decided to record a solo episode where um, I talked about 28 lessons that I've learned by turning 28. Um, These are a mix of pieces of advice I've been given, favorite quotes and sayings, tips from my therapist, and just like things that I've been working on and will continue to work on in implementing uh, in the years to come. first lesson that I've learned um, in these 28 years of of life, I guess, is that nothing changes if nothing changes. Quick side note, and you'll notice this with a lot of these quotes, um, is that they're like catchy phrases and plays on words because I'm a linguist and I like that. Um, But yeah, this is, I think, a good note to start on. Um, And as an example, I think about how and when I decided to move to Austin back in December of 2020 and 
really like at that time I was feeling really stuck in my job, um, in my like, life in New York. Like I was literally stuck because it was COVID and I couldn't leave my apartment. And I was feeling like really confused about what to do and, and, and unhappy. And it was reaching the point where I was like, I know if I don't do something about this, like I'm going to be really depressed again. And we just, you know, we just overcame that battle. We don't want to go back down that road. So I just was like, fuck it. I'm going to move to Austin. And I decided to, and it was literally the best thing I could have done. It, it really shook up my life and I've learned so much and I grew so much over those two and a half years living there. But I think that's just a good lesson to take if you're ever feeling stagnant or like you've no nothing to do if you're in a relationship or in a job you don't like it's like the definition of sanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results so like if unless you take a big risk or, and change something nothing will change like your life will continue as is so um yeah if that, I think like if you're just listening to that and if you hear those pieces of advice maybe take it as a sign to like quit that job that like is making you miserable or break up with that person that you've been like, you know, on the fence about. I think it's just an important reminder. So the second lesson that I've learned is to trust my gut. I know this is like kind of a cheesy corny phrase. And to be honest, whenever I think of trust my gut, I now like think of that meme. It's like, trust my gut. You mean the thing that can't even tolerate dairy? Um, if you've seen that meme, otherwise that might not make sense to you. But anyways, this is cliche, but I think it's really important. And I think I've been thinking a lot about this. So for someone like me who has anxiety, I've had like a very turbulent relationship, so to speak, with my gut because I it's hard for me to differentiate what is my gut talking and what's an irrational thought. So especially like with anxiety, I get a lot of intrusive thoughts like, oh, they don't like me or you know, they're mad at me or you can't get this job. Like some of those things I've learned through CBT methods to dismiss and to say, okay, no, that's, you know, your anxiety talking. That's not your, you know, that's not really happening. Um, But I think the flip side of that and like where that's kind of done me wrong is there have been instances where I have felt my gut tell me something you know this isn't in line with your values these people aren't good for you and I've kind of dismissed it as an intrusive thought or something that's you know me getting my head getting in the way so there have been times like as I mentioned um, in Austin where I was hanging out with a group of people that really weren't good for me and um, I never felt safe around them and my gut was really telling me to like get away like these people don't have your best interest in mind they're like gonna hurt you these are not good friends and at the time I was like no this is your anxiety talking because I will talk about this later but I have very like insecure attachments and I put a lot of um, weight into friendships so those that like those are the the relationships where I get really nervous about them not reciprocating like the affection I have for them anyways um, so yeah, I just missed my gut in that situation and then it, it backfired and it, and I got really hurt by those people. But I think an example of like how my gut has served me and how I've learned from that is with my sobriety. Like my gut was, has been telling me to stop drinking for so long. And I can think of two very specific examples. Um, for some reason in 2020, I downloaded 
the I am sober app. Like I didn't stick with it clearly, but I downloaded it. And I think maybe I downloaded it for like dry January or something like intrigued me about it. Um, and then the even like almost weirder is like I did a research study on sober curiosity in November of 2022. So like right before I stopped drinking altogether and I even like randomly followed these two sober accounts. One is called Fucking Sober and the other is called Brutal Recovery. They're very funny. They're meme groups. Anyways, on Instagram, um, literally like in December. So it's just weird how like there's those moments where clearly something was pulling me towards that and saying this is the right decision for you. And then I finally listened and it's been the best decision um, that I ever could have done. So all that is to say, trust your gut. <laughs> The third lesson is that when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. This is, I'd say, similar to trusting your gut. Like if you get a bad feeling about someone from the bat, like remember that because if you're just observing the room, like there's something about their energy that like make you feel unsafe or uncomfortable. And I think safety and trust have a lot to do with trusting your gut. Um, but yeah, this is a quote by Maya Angelou that I just love. And I think the point of it is that to be discerning when it comes to spending time around people and don't gaslight yourself about the true nature of someone when they expose who they are. I think this is very hard for us people pleasers because we tend to want to give the benefit of the doubt to people or give them second or third or fourth or fifth chances. But after a while, I think as a people pleaser, I've learned to recognize when a person has shown me enough negative behaviors consistently um, to not want to, you know, have them around my life. The next lesson is that you are the average of the five people who you spend the most time with. This is something that Mitchell Davis, who was a guest on this podcast, actually said was his favorite quote. And it stuck with me ever since that episode, which I think came out in like May of 2021. Um, and it's, I think there are studies behind this. I don't have them off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure this isn't just like a saying. And it makes sense like because I all notice that if I spend like time around certain people, I start like talking like them. I start texting like them. I'm like, wow, I never used to say or like, you know, that expression until I started hanging out with like so-and-so, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing if those people are exhibiting behaviors that you want to replicate. So just something good to keep in mind like because I think I mean I, and I would hope that everyone wants to be like the best version of themselves whatever that may mean to you so surround yourself with people who you want to be like and who you admire I think is like the point of um this quote so lesson five is to stop surrounding yourself with people who you have to make excuses for or apologize for this is something that I actually just like came up with while I was reflecting over my time in Austin because in moving back to New York, I did a lot of reflection on like, you know, the friends I had made while I was in Austin, um, the relationships I had had and just like how much I changed over those two and a half years. And when thinking about both the Maya Angelou quote and what, and what Mitchell Davis said, it got me thinking about the times that I had made excuses for people or apologized on their behalf, even though they're, the behavior that they exhibited wasn't what in my like wasn't in line with my values and didn't wasn't justified to be excused or even like worse condoned. Um and so yeah, just going forward, I wanna 
keep that in mind that if I'm like, if I keep having to like apologize for someone or make excuses for their behavior, like why am I hanging that with them to begin with? Because they clearly aren't adding to my life. And um, yeah, so it's just something that I have to keep reminding myself as I, you know, begin this new chapter in New York City. Okay, I love lesson six because it's just, it's a great Buddhist quote and it is to let go or be dragged. I saw this on a TikTok, to be honest, and I really wish I could remember the name of the creator because I almost dropped my phone when I heard this quote. But basically the point of, it's a very like broad quote and I think it could be applied to a lot of different things. You know, whether it's like to, like if you're in a bad job and like it's, pulling you down unless you quit unless you let go it'll continue to pull you back it's almost actually now that I think about it it's kind of similar to nothing changes if nothing changes but also I think it's like like let's say you know you just were in a relationship that was just ended and you can't stop thinking about the relationship and all your regrets and blah 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 like at some point you kind of just have to give yourself closure and move on Otherwise, you're going to be continued to be dragged by those regrets and those ruminations and all the other things. So, yeah, the longer we hold on to things that invite negative energy into our lives, the less quickly we are able to move forward from that and live life to the fullest. Speaking of closure, the seventh lesson is that closure is something you give yourself. I've talked about this, I think, a couple of times on this podcast, but I like there's no such thing as closure. And I'll never forget it. I was in a session with my therapist and I was talking about a friendship that had like ended really badly and that it still quote unquote hadn't had closure from. And my therapist just goes, well, Zoe, there's no such thing as closure. And I was like, what? Like literally the look on my face, my therapist must have thought I was like, like had passed out. I was so shocked because I'd never like heard that said out loud. And then I read Jay Shetty's book, The Eight Rules of Love, and he talked a lot about how closure is not something that we get, but we, like, give. And ultimately, the only, like, person who can give us closure is ourself. And it makes a lot of sense. I always think about the example of, like, let's say you just went through a breakup and you were like, oh, if I only had these five questions answered, like, I would be able to move on. I just need to know X, Y, and Z. Like, chances are if you actually got those questions answered at least one of those answers wouldn't align with what you were expecting or what you were hoping and would lead to more questions so it's like an endless cycle there's no way that all of your you could get all of the answers you want is like the sad but true fact and so yeah the only way that you can get closure from a situation or a person or a relationship or blah 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 is to just accept that it happened and and you know forgive yourself for your part in it and move on so yeah, you don't get closure. You give it something you can give yourself. The eighth lesson is that there is a thin line between acts of service and people pleasing. This is another <laughs> quote that I kind of made up, but I know it really applies to me and hopefully there's someone listening who this really resonates with. But basically, I am someone whose love language is acts of service. Like, it, re- it makes me really happy and it brings m- me so much joy to make other people happy. Like I love to do things like give small gifts and send people like, you know, gift cards for coffee on a bad day um, or like make my partner like bake goods. Like I love doing stuff like that. It just like makes me happy to see 
others enjoying themselves. And that I think it also is like a side effect of people pleasing. Um, but yeah, on the other hand, I'm also a huge people pleaser. Like nothing stresses me out more than if I think someone does not like me, even if it's someone who like I literally have no real relationship to. It gives me a lot of anxiety. Um, so I have these two qualities. One is like, you know, enhancing my life or is a, I'd say a good quality. And the other one is not so great. But if you really think about it, they're kind of similar. There's like a very thin line. And there have been times where, you know, the people-pleasing aspect of myself has kicked in, but it's manifested in acts of service. So like, I remember one time I had people who I considered friends at the time um, who were traveling in Greece and I like bought them shots at the bar they were at Mykonos because I you know, wanted to show them that I was excited for them to be in Greece or another time I was had been on a couple of dates with a guy and he mentioned having a stressful day at work and like I ordered him insomnia cookies to his office but like so like yeah at the time you know I'm patting myself on my back I'm such a nice person blah 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 but like if you dig deeper into those situations in the first example those girls who I was friends with had never treated me with respect they'd never like given given me reassurance that I was like a that they liked me as a friend. And, and the second example, I think I'd been on like two dates with this guy. Like I didn't know anything about him. And looking back, I'm like, do those people deserve that act of service or that gift or, you know, that, that thoughtful gesture? Or was I just trying to like win their approval or even worse, like buy their friendship or love? And like, I, I know it sounds like I'm a little real like sociopath, but I definitely was leaning towards the latter. And so now whenever I am like about to do a thoughtful gesture or an act of service, I think to myself, like, who is this serving in this moment? Is it serving that person? Do they reciprocate, you know, their love to me through whatever love language they, you know, that is that they utilize, whether it's physical touch or words of affirmation, or do I just feel insecure in this relationship and I'm trying to push it forward and like, kind of hook on to it so yes there's a thin line between acts of service and people pleasing the ninth lesson is that how someone treats you says everything about them and nothing about you this is something I've thought a lot about ever since I stopped drinking um, because I think there's no better indicator to like whether I want someone in my life whether it's romantic or platonic um, you know friendship than like how they react to my sobriety. And like I got very lucky where really my truest friends never were weird about it. They all really like respected and admired my decision to stop drinking and, you know, always put me in positions that where I was comfortable, um, if alcohol was around and never like pressured me in any way, shape or form. Um, but there were people who, you know, would ask questions of like, oh, why, like, but you didn't have really like a drinking problem and kind of made me feel weird. Luckily, not very many, but there's, you know, always that there are the exception to that rule. Um, but the funny thing is, is that like, those are all people who like, as just a, you know, as an observer, I would question their own relationship with alcohol. So really people's treatment towards you is just a direct projection of how they're feeling about themselves. So don't let it get to you water off a duck's back. 
lesson 10 is don't take criticism from someone you wouldn't take advice from. This is a credit to Alana because this was one of the pieces of advice that she gave on her podcast. You know, and it speaks to a lot of like what we were talking about earlier with, you know, surrounding ourselves with people who um, you admire and all of that stuff because ultimately thinking about like who you'd get advice from, it's probably something someone you look up to, whether it's someone's relationship that you admire or, you know, someone who you have a, like whose job you respect, it's people you respect or look up to. And so unless if they're giving you some like constructive feedback or criticism, maybe take it into account. But if it's someone who's living their life in a way that like you don't really respect or, you know, aren't really jealous of in any way, shape or form, and they're criticizing you again, that's a projection of like their own issues. Don't let it get to you and don't take that criticism or honestly don't take that advice if they should give you any. Lesson 11 is one of my favorites and it is to stop waiting for the other shoe to drop. This is another credit to Alana because I'm pretty sure she had this in her list. And it speaks to a like more general term that Brene Brown talks a lot about in her book, Daring Greatly. This is one of two times that I will be talking about Brene Brown in this podcast episode because she is one of my favorite people in the world and I'm obsessed with her. But um, anyway, in, in Daring Greatly, uh, Brene Brown talks about this concept called foreboding joy. And basically, it's that feeling you get when you experience joy, but then it's quickly followed by thoughts of worry and dread. It's like that inner dialogue of, but what if this happens? Or a sense of impending doom that just because you experience happy, happiness, something bad is bound to happen afterwards to counteract it. Um, so even though you're still kind of experiencing joy, it's being negated by like the worry and fear that that joy will leave you or that like you don't deserve to experience it. This is something that I dealt a lot with. Like I used to say my favorite quote was hope for the best, but expect the worst. That summarizes foreboding joy. Um, And so when she talked about it in her book, it really made me think about like how many times I just like, I mean, maybe it had to do with my OCD and my like intrusive thoughts that something bad was like going to happen just because I experienced something good. But even for those people who don't have OCD, I think you could probably relate to this. Um, and it's it's hard because, I don't know, it's, it's hard to get over and um, I certainly haven't mastered it. But in the book, she recommends doing these four practices to get over that fear or that just like, expectation of feeling disappointed and the four um, things she recommends are to practice gratitude cultivate self-awareness embrace opportunities to build resilience and to honor the good and not the bad Um, I really love that last one I think it speaks to gratitude and just remembering that like taking in those moments of joy because the world is hard and bad things happen to good people but I think when we are grateful for the people and the moments in our life that make it so worth living um that helps overcome that foreboding joy. So lesson 12 is that too much of a good thing isn't really a good thing. This is actually a piece of advice that my friend Lockie gave to me on my last day in Austin. Um, So essentially I had all my stuff packed on June 20th and I was at Soho House with my friend Lockie and he asked me how I was feeling about moving back to New York City and I was saying you know 
how sad I was because I just had this like marvelous couple of weeks and months and was, you know, meeting all these new people and staying out so much later than I usually do and just having the best time of my life. And he validated that but said, you know, that that sounds great, but too much of a good thing isn't really a good thing. And I was like, wow, that's such a good way to look at it because as much fun as I was having and as many friends I had made in those last couple of months in Austin, all that was really happening just because I was saying yes to every invitation. I was staying out much later than I usually do. I was just meeting all these new people and it was I was living a lifestyle that really wasn't sustainable, but I was able to do it because I knew my time in Austin was limited and it gave me a lot more energy to be able to do all those things sober. Let me add, I was like, I don't even know. I was literally high on life, but hearing that piece of advice was so helpful and grounding me in that moment because whenever I get sad about leaving Austin and thinking back to all the fun I had, I know that if I had been, if I had somehow decided to stay or, you know, not come back in a hypothetical scenario, I would have been hit with the reality of work and school and an internship and all these other things that are real life. And so although this is a very specific scenario to my situation, I think just in general, too much of any good thing isn't really a good thing. And remembering that and holding on to that mantra can be really helpful in grounding us in the present moment. So yeah, thanks Lockie for that piece of advice. Lesson 13 is a little bit on more on like the solemn side, but it's actually a piece of uh, advice that came to me when I was working with a client the other day. And it is from a TED talk by Nora McKinnerney, where she says, we don't move on from grief, we move forward with it. This is again, um, less fun to talk about because it is dealing with a really difficult uh, topic of grief, but I've, I've had a lot of losses in my 28 years of life and it's been really hard and I haven't forgotten about any of the people I've lost, any of the, you know, situations that I've had to put to rest, so to speak. And that's the whole notion of this quote is that you don't move on from grief. You're not just able to put it behind us, um, but we carry it with us and it shapes our experiences. I mean, just like thinking about, for example, like where I am in life, like the whole reason that I am literally, you know, in school to become a therapist, it goes back all the way to the loss that I had of a friend by suicide. Like I would not in any way, shape or form be recording this podcast, be at Columbia right now, be interning at a private practice if I hadn't dealt with that loss and and carried it with me over these past five and a half years. And I think specifically when it comes to the loss of a person, we hold on to those people and carry them with us because they shaped our life in some way or another. And we are who we are today because of them. So we don't just leave them behind us. And one, one quote that Nora says in her TED Talk is that grief doesn't happen in this vacuum. It happens alongside of and then mixed in with all these other emotions, these emotions of love and joy 
and laughter and fun. And so if we move on from that grief, we're moving on from those memories that brought us those joy, that joy and that happiness and that laughter. And so all this is to say that I think it's a very important reminder to of why we keep those memories alive, of why we keep those people alive, because they shaped us into who we are. And so, wait, I don't know. I guess it's just a good reminder if you're ever told to like move on from something or, you know, get over it is that you can't, you have to move forward with it. And it's not easy, but ultimately it will, like having that memory with you and, and carrying that with you as you move forward in life will be transformational. So some quick context for lesson 14 is that I recently put out like a poll up on my Instagram or something asking people for their favorite pieces of advice in relationships. And uh, this one really stuck out to me just in general, not necessarily for relationships. Um, Granted, I don't have much experience in that in that area. So I think this just applies to my life in general. So the piece of advice is to speak like you're right and listen like you're wrong. Um, so let's break down the two. First, speak like you're right. I like to think of this in academic settings or professional settings. Um, you know, for right now I'm in school, so it's something I remind myself of whenever I raise my hand. It's to not use words or phrases that diminish the point I'm trying to make. Like in the past, I I definitely catch myself raising my hand and saying something like, I'm sorry, but I have a question or I could be completely wrong here, but, and then, you know, saying my point. And it's like this weird defense mechanism of almost like setting myself up to be wrong in the hopes of being validated that the point I'm making is actually good. But by not asserting myself properly, it's just leading to not being taken as seriously. So it's like this weird counterintuitive approach. I don't know, but I think a lot of uh, women and other marginalized populations tend to do this. And that's a whole other topic that I'm not even going to go into. But yeah, it, it's in a courteous and professional way, I think it's really important to speak like you're right and speak with authority because what you say is important. And if you don't think it is or you don't act like it is, it won't be taken as seriously. So speak it like you're right. Then on the flip side, listen like you're wrong. Listening like you're wrong essentially means letting go of your pride and being open to an opinion that may differ from your own. So, for example, if you're getting constructive feedback from a boss or from a peer, I think we often like put tend to like immediately put our guard up or get defensive rather than just listening and you know, being open to that feedback and open to adjusting our approach or whatever and you know, then it's up to us if we want to take that advice, take that constructive criticism and apply it or just like continue as is. But I think the most important part is listening because being a good listener is one of the most, I think, invaluable qualities a person can have. And also I think listening like you're wrong makes you garner more respect than someone who gets immediately defensive and immediately lets their ego get in the way. So yeah, speak like you're right and listen like you're wrong. Lesson 15 is something that I try to work on and remember daily. And it is a Gandhi quote, forgiveness is the attribute of the strong. Whew, 
forgiveness. This is actually a topic I'd really love to have a guest on to talk more about because I have a very hard time forgiving, forgiving others who have hurt me, forgiving myself. It's it's really hard and I and I'm sure there's a lot of people listening who can relate to it. And I think part of why it's so hard for me is because of like what this quote says, like it's validating the fact that forgiveness is the attribute of the strong. It's validating that forgiving someone is hard, especially when they really, really, really hurt you. And forgiving yourself is like a whole other beast. So yeah, I don't honestly have much to add because I'd say maybe of the 28 lessons here, this is probably the one that I struggle with the most. But I added it in because it's probably one of the most important as well. And also Gandhi said it, so like it's got to be important. Lesson 16 is that people always treat you according to the way you unconsciously treat yourself. I'm sure there are, again, probably studies behind this, but unfortunately I don't have any top of mind. But yeah, this is really important. And I think like I'm someone who used to speak very negatively of myself, like out loud saying things like, oh, that was so stupid or you're so stupid. And, you know, just putting myself down both in situations where I'm alone and with others. And it's never good because like you internalize those words. So like me telling myself that I'm stupid or that, you know, I'm... I'm not good enough to get a certain job or I'm not good enough for like X, Y, or Z. The more you tell yourself those things, the more you be like actually it, like your body listens and starts to believe it. And then also in settings when you're with other people, when you speak negatively about yourself, other people interpret that self-talk as a lack of self-respect and thus won't treat you with the respect that you deserve. Um, just as that, you know, quote, the original quote says that people always treat you according to the way you unconsciously treat yourself or consciously. So remember, like, if you're about to, you know, say something negative about yourself or put yourself down, kind of stop yourself really quickly. And, you know, obviously it's okay to have those feelings, but remember that like how whatever you're about to say will invite that lack of respect because it's appearing like you don't have that respect for yourself so yeah treat yourself kindly give yourself that forgiveness as we talked about before and you'll get that respect that you deserve by showing it that you have it for yourself lesson 17 is a really tough one for us people pleasers and it is something that again i try to work on every single day and remind myself, and so it is, quote, if you try to please all, you please none. Ooh. This, yeah, I'm a big people pleaser, as we've touched on, and it's exhausting, to be honest. It's exhausting to constantly try to get the approval of every single person, even if they aren't a very, like, important person in your life. I mean, I get so in my head about how people what people think of me and like there's nothing that stresses me out more than when I feel like someone doesn't like me and so I will go out of my way to make sure that like my friends brothers hairdressers nieces son likes me like it's it's exhausting to try to please all of those people and 
that people pleasing invites chaos into your life. So yeah, just as this quote says, is like if you, when you're investing so much into what every single person around you thinks of you, you're diminishing the time and effort that should be placed into the people who really deserve your kindness and your love and your time. And it's like, I mean, I'll touch on this later in a different quote, but instead of investing all that energy into acquaintances and fair weather friends, invest it into the people who you love and who make your life better and who add some value to who you are as a human. Because ultimately, again, as this quote says, if you try to please all, you please none. Lesson 18 is that a lack of boundaries invites a lack of respect. Boundaries, I think, is uh, like very aligned with people pleasing. I think they're kind of one and the same in that oftentimes people pleasers have a hard time setting boundaries and I am definitely one of those people. And so when I was um, over the summer, I was reading a book that was recommended by the internship um, that I am working at in the fall. And it's called Set Boundaries, Find Peace by Dr. Nedra Glover-Tawab. And I highly recommend it. And it's all about setting boundaries with your family, with your friends, with your partner, and with yourself, which was something I hadn't really thought much about. But yeah, I think what's so powerful about setting boundaries is it's like really a way of showing and asserting self-respect because again, ultimately we don't have the capacity to help out everyone and to act according to the ways that like other people would make other people most comfortable. And so not asserting your boundaries and not sticking to them invites that lack of respect similar to, you know, when you don't treat yourself um, in a way that garners others respect. So yeah. Set up those boundaries and stick to them. Kind of going off the boundary topic is lesson 19, which is no is a full sentence. So I have a little bit of a story from this one. I was um, working with my therapist, as per usual, and I was telling her about how a guy had, had like invited me out somewhere um, on a trip and I was, I didn't want to go whatsoever and I was working with my therapist to craft a text message to explain why I couldn't go and so I started writing the text message and I was like hi like so sorry I can't go because my parents are coming in town this weekend and I have a dog I need to walk and I have some homework to do and and I was just like rambling on and on and on with all these excuses and my therapist kind of paused me in my tracks and she's like Zoe like why don't why can't you just say no like, why do you need to say all of these explanations of like things that ultimately are so small that then, you know, why can't you just say no? And I was like, Sarah, that's a really, really good point. Like, <laughs> I don't know. And it's because probably I, I don't, I feel like I need to justify every single thing that I do and every single, you know, decision I make and, um, it really just paused me in my tracks. And so, yeah, that's why it's in this list because I need to practice just being able to say no and asserting that boundary without feeling the need to explain it or justify it. And so, yeah, 
going off of those boundaries is sometimes it's okay to just say no without having to explain yourself or give an excuse because it's kind of like, you know how there's those people who lie and like you can tell it's a lie because it's, there's so many details. It's like if they had just said something else, they could have just said like the lie straightforward and you would have believed it. But because they added in all those unnecessary details, you're like, why are you making this so specific? It's kind of like that. Like just say no. And if they're a true friend, they'll be like, okay, that's fine. Like, I respect your decision. It's probably important. Like, you know, you're probably telling me this for some reason or another. And then if they don't take it seriously or if they question why you said no to begin with, that's probably not someone you want in your life. So, yeah, no is a full sentence. So a little background behind Lesson 20 is that over the summer in my free time, I have been, (laughs) I watched a lot of RuPaul's Drag Race and it was transformational. And so, yeah, the quote here is that if you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love anybody else? I love this quote. It's pretty self-explanatory. But yeah, self-love is so important. And it's something that I really don't think I had until, honestly, until this year. Like, that's so hard for me to say out loud, but actually I'm going to, again, as, as I mentioned earlier, this is my third time recording this episode. So I'm kind of just going off the rails in this third time's a charm situation. So when I downloaded the I Am Sober app, the whatever fifth time or whatever this year, when I stuck to it, they ask you to put a reason for your stop, like why you want to stop drinking. And my reason, I'm actually pulling it up now. It says, today I will stay sober. Why I'm doing this? And I wrote, quote, I want to learn how to love myself. And the only way I can do that is by quitting drinking. Okay, I just made my pledge. And it's funny looking back on that now because at the time, I think I just kind of wrote it because self-love is something, it's kind of like a glass ceiling. Like, I don't think you ever are like fully in love with yourself. I think you're always kind of improving upon it. But when I wrote that in like, what, January 1st of this year, I definitely didn't feel it the same way I do right now. And yeah, there was, there was a really, 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 really long time, especially in college where I knew, I was like pretty self-aware that I did not have enough self-love or enough love for myself to be in a relationship where I could give that person the love that they deserve. It was like this weird thing I just like knew. I was like, no, I don't think I can get in a relationship because I really don't love myself. And even though that, you know, kind of waxed and waned over the following five or six years, really, it wasn't until this year that I felt like, wow, I have so much love and respect for myself. And again, it's something that it, I don't feel like I'm done, that I can like, you know, wipe off my hands and say, yep, I'm all good now. But I definitely do feel like I have this whole new appreciation for who I am as a person and what I've accomplished in my life. And I think sobriety has helped me get there, like has given me this giant, I don't know, step up so that it's more attainable. But yeah, <laughs> that was a really long tangent to say, if you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love anybody else? So yeah, practice that self-love and definitely practice it before you get into a relationship. That is all I have to say there. Okay, so some background for Lesson 21. Some of you will have 
absolutely no idea what I'm talking about here. And some of you will know exactly what I'm talking about. Shout out to all my Bravo fans. So um, this is a quote that I took from an episode of Bethany Frankel's podcast where she interviewed uh, Raquel slash Rachel Levis from Vanderpump Rules after the whole scandal situation. And putting aside my thoughts on that whole shit show, there was one thing that Rachel said in the interview that stuck out with me so much. It was a piece of advice that was given to her by her therapist, which was, quote, do not conflate intensity with intimacy, end quote. So again, putting aside all my feelings for Rachel, that's a really good piece of fucking advice there. And I really hope that Rachel listened because it's just based on that quote itself is like, it sounds like her therapist is incredible. But let me explain what this means. So basically, in the episode, Rachel was talking about how her therapist noticed that when it came to relationships, Rachel was falling for these people who weren't good for her because they were going like really deep, really fast. And she was taking that as like love and intimacy. And like when I tell you that I heard that, I was like, shit, it's like she's read right through me. Yeah, it's it's such a piece of advice because yeah, someone like me, I guess I relate to Rachel in this way. I really love listening. Like I really love going like headfirst into a relationship and both platonic and, you know, romantic. Like I really like learning about people's like life stories and their like hardest moments in life. And they're like, I love when people get vulnerable and I take that vulnerability as intimacy and love. But sometimes I should take it as a red flag. Like when someone's showing me all of their, you know, cards on a first date, I need to remind myself that that is intensity. That's not intimacy. There is no foundation upon which this trust has been built yet. Like we've just started dating or we've just became friends. It's probably a red flag if someone is showing this side of themselves so early on, because like, what have I given that? Like, what have I shown them aside from being like, whatever, now a therapist, that's like different. And that's like a different setting. But yeah, that's also a good reminder of like not to carry, you know, my work into my everyday life. Like, I don't want to be a go-to therapist on every single first date I go on. Um, but like jokes aside, I think it's important for people who, and, and yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of people who can't relate to this. They're like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't like talking about, you know, my daddy issues on my first dates. Like, you're insane. And to those people, I say, I respect you and... <laughs> Maybe I am a little crazy, but yeah, I'm going off the rails here. All this is to say that this piece of advice really stuck with me. And so if it resonates with you, yeah, just remember not to conflate intensity with intimacy because I think that's what often leads to relationships with people who don't have the best intentions for us. In a similar vein, lesson 22 is oversharing is not the same thing as vulnerability. So I actually remember exactly where I was when I heard this. It was um, from her book, Braving the Wilderness. And I usually listen to Brene Brown's books like on audiobook while I go on runs. And so I was in Lake George and I was on a run and, or no, I was, I was in Austin on a run actually, besides the point. And 
she was talking about oversharing and I was like, oh, awesome. Brittany's going to talk about oversharing this quality I really love about myself. Like, I'm so excited to hear all the wonderful things she has to say about oversharing, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> Brittany Brown just goes and like, like talking about all of the reasons why oversharing is like not good and it's can be a form of like manipulation and stuff. And I literally, like literally stopped in my tracks. I was like, fuck. <laughs> I thought this was like something that made me really open and really vulnerable. And here Brene Brown is telling, saying that like, it's completely different form of vulnerability and to like reason listing all the reasons why oversharing was bad. Um, but she makes a really good point. And Brene Brown is literally like the closest thing there is to God for me. So I have that lesson has stuck with me ever since. And here's how, oversharing manifests in my life. And I think it's helpful to provide an explanation. As I kind of alluded to earlier, I'm someone who doesn't like conversations that just scratch the surface. I like to go deep and, and that's why I have a podcast. I'm a very curious person. I love learning about people's stories. Uh, but sometimes like I've noticed that I'll tell someone something and in my head, I'll be like, wow, this is me being really vulnerable right now. Like, I don't know, I'm telling my history of like anxiety or depression or like some of the losses I've endured. And in the past, I used to like tell those stories almost as a way to like win someone's love or almost in like a strategic manner. And now if I catch myself doing that, I have to stop myself and be like, who is this serving? Is this serving this person in this relationship or am I just saying this to either make myself feel better and get something off my chest or to like strategically push this relationship forward not to make myself sound like a complete sociopath but like oftentimes it's definitely the latter and I've had to catch myself in those moments and being like right now what I'm about to tell this person is not being like it's not me being vulnerable it's me oversharing in the hopes that they'll think it's vulnerability and that they'll feel more connected to me. And yeah, there's like, and this is a really important thing for that I've had to learn and practice before to starting my work as a therapist, because like, there's a very real thing. And I don't know if any of y'all have dealt with this of, um, when you're working with a therapist and they self-disclose, which means like, let's say I'm talking about my history with an eating disorder and let's say a therapist my therapist, this has never happened to me, thank God. Um, but like, let's say my therapist then like talks about their history. There's a very thin line and it's something that like they, we talk a lot about both in classes and in my internship of like when and if that line can even be crossed because there's a certain point where it stops serving the client and it's just fully serving the therapist. And again, I'm very fortunate that I've never been in a situation where I've been the client and I've, eh, well, there's been some, but, um, but I've definitely, I definitely know some therapists who, um, overshare it and I never want to be like one of those, but yeah, back to the quote, oversharing is not the same thing as vulnerability. And remember before you say something, um, in a newer relationship or a newer friendship, or, you know, if you're a therapist and you're listening to this, ask yourself, who is this serving? Is it serving 
this person? Will it help make their life better? Or is it serving me and it's just making me feel better by getting it off my chest? So one thing I am very bad at is cooking. And not only am I bad at it, but I just really don't like it. I know this is something I need to work on and I one day will, you know, really buy a bunch of cooking books and teach myself how to navigate a kitchen, but that day is not today. And so I am very thankful for Sakara because as a student with a part-time job and a um, podcast in a field placement, I don't have much time. And I know that's an excuse I was making when I had all the time in the world, but now I really don't have time. And so Sakara delivers fully prepared meals to your doorstep that are healthy, nutritious, and filling. So for someone like me who needs to literally have food placed in front of them in order to eat regularly and keep up with, you know, maintaining a health, both a healthy relationship with food and also just a schedule. Um, Sakara has been such a blessing and I am so lucky that I've been partnering with them for over two years now um, to provide you all with 20% off your first purchase. So if you're like me and are just not able to fit in time to, you know, make a meal or are ordering out every single day because it's easier but it's dropping so much money, give Sakara a try. The food's so good. I especially actually really love the breakfast. They have like really great muffins and things that um, are my personal favorite. And I also really, really love their probiotics. So two very different things, but you can order them all. Just use my code XOZOE. That's X-O-Z-O-E at checkout and I'll get 20% off your purchase. So give it a shot and let me know what you think. Okay, I promise I'm almost done here. The 23rd lesson is a quote by Eleanor Roosevelt that I'm sure many of you have heard before and it is that great minds discuss ideas, average minds discuss events, and small minds discuss people. So if you haven't heard this quote before, essentially what it's saying is that you want to be surrounded by people who you can discuss ideas with and just talk with about things that other than like gossip. Essentially, discussing people means you're most likely discussing them in a negative way unless you're there, you know, like hyping up your friends. And yeah, I just like to think of this quote whenever I catch myself talking negatively about someone else or getting caught up in gossip because most of the times when I am doing that, It's when I'm with people who I don't have a very strong relationship with and I feel like the only thing I can connect with them on is like putting people other down, which is really sad and I never want to do that. So yeah, it's, I'm not going to go into it too much because I think it's pretty straightforward, but it's essentially goes back to a big theme of, I think this podcast episode, which has been like relationships, whether it's friendships Uh, romantic relationships, etc. And yeah, just catch yourself when you're talking negatively about someone else and like take note of who you're telling that to because I would guarantee 99.9% of the time the person you're talking to in that situation is not someone that you have a lot of respect for. And like similarly, you don't want to be known as that person who's always like shit talking other people. And also if you're talking badly about someone else or you know you're gossiping with someone most likely that person is gossiped about you i'm sure you all know that 
Okay, lesson 24 is one of my favorite quotes of all time uh, that Isaac Hindenmiller said as his favorite quote, my podcast back in 2021, I think it was a while ago, maybe it was 2020, 2021, whatever. And it is that it's better to have four quarters than 100 pennies. Um, so earlier when I was talking about the people pleasing and the whole notion of if you try to please all, you please none, uh, I was kind of referring to this quote because it's basically saying that, you know, it's always quality over quantity, and especially when it comes to friendships. And yeah, I think about this a lot, especially as I've moved into my later 20s and I see my the, like dynamics between my friendships changing. And sometimes I, that really gets me, especially like, you know, I moved back to New York and my best friends from when I lived here last now no longer live here. They live in Seattle and Boston and New Jersey and like they're all over in Austin. And sometimes like, I get really down on myself thinking like, wow, I only have like, a, like even just thinking back to now, I, okay, spoiler alert, my birthday's already passed because I'm putting this off to the last minute. But even at my birthday dinner, like I only really was with like four really close friends. And there was a moment where I was like, wow, this is like, what happened to my party of, you know, 50 people coming to celebrate me? And I had to remind myself that like, yeah, I could have been surrounded by 50 people, but it's so much more lovely to be at a dinner with like four people who know me to my core and I can be like my true truest and most authentic self with and yeah and, and then as another reminder to invest my time and energy into those relationships because those are the people I want to please those are the people that I want to trust and love me it's not like all these peripheral acquaintances that I just see every so often so yeah it's better to have four quarters than a hundred pennies. The next quote is kind of silly. It's not even a quote. It's just a piece of advice that I would give. And it is that traveling is never a bad idea. And if you get the chance, stay in a hostel. I added this piece of advice after my trip to Croatia, which was absolutely wonderful. And um, just for some context, I, I traveled with one of my best, best friends for the first week or first hmm, how long was I gone for like for the first 10 days I was with my closest friend Stella and had just like a really marvelous time and then for the last five days I was just traveling alone and I'm a big solo traveler I think you can learn a lot about yourself when you travel and just I think it's really fun and you get to meet a lot of people and you get you're on your own schedule and so I really love the balance of you know spending the majority of my time with one of my closest friends and then the the latter portion just exploring on my own and on my last day when I was in Dubrovnik for the second time I stayed in a hostel and I hadn't stayed in a hostel I think since I was like 20 years old studying abroad and so like my junior year of college so it had been a, quite some time since I had done it and I just it just reminded me how much I freaking love staying in hostels because I was literally in Dubrovnik for less than 24 hours and I left with like 10 new friends who I felt like I'd known my entire life. And so, yeah, I think, I mean, granted, I'm not saying that like whenever you travel, you have to stay in a hostel, especially if you can, you know, afford to upgrade, but like just sneak it in every now and then, because I think it's a really wonderful way to not only meet new people, but also just like get new perspectives. Cause the people I met like really was just like some of the most interesting people I had talked to in so long and just had been traveling for 
three months and, you know, coming from Australia all the way to Croatia and like on to Asia. And it was just like so freaking cool. And so, yeah, that's just my little own piece of advice. Do with it what you will. Um, another silly lesson, number 26, is that you're if you're ever feeling like you're in a bad place and don't know what to do, go on a walk or pet an animal <laughs> or knit. That's something I would add now that I've started knitting. Um, yeah, it's, it's silly, but I think it's true. Like, I really think that there's almost nothing that nature or exercise or animals can't solve. Um, Winky has quite literally saved my life. Like, granted, she's currently with my parents for this year while I'm commuting up to Columbia, but getting her in on December 13th of 2020 was like the best, best $300 I've ever spent. I adopted her by the way. So also adopt if you're getting a dog and yeah she's just like the best thing ever like I, it's so amazing to wake up to this living being that has like nothing but unconditional love for you and if you can't get an animal that's fine get a plant like just like having something to take care of is so therapeutic and like to the other things like whether it's going on a walk or a run or a or going biking or just getting in nature it provides so much solace and it's a little harder to do when you're in New York and it is 50 degrees and like sleeting out. And so that's an adjustment I will have to deal with now that I'm back here. But yeah, I'm, I'm definitely trying to incorporate as much like exercise and um, nature as I can um, as you know, I make this or as I move into this new chapter in New York City. And also knitting. It's kind of addictive. I'm not going to lie. I just started knitting like two days ago and I'm already like, I can't stop doing it. <laughs> Lesson 27 is that time is our only limited resource. So use it wisely. I was reminded of this when I interviewed Chris Shattuck on an episode earlier this year talking about sobriety. And he really changed my perspective on, on how I view time because it's, it had a lot to do, granted, in our conversation. It was intersected with just drinking and how much time that takes up being hungover and the actual, like, process of, you know, going out and drinking and staying out late. And, like, he, what he said was, like, ultimately, if you break it down, you can always get more money. You can always, you know, uh, make more friends or, like, thinking about other resources. My brain is kind of at a loss. But ultimately, life ain't no dress rehearsal like time is really limited on this earth and so we have to use it wisely and to me when I stopped drinking like that now I have almost like too much time on my hands I almost don't know what to do with myself but it's also just been amazing I feel like the time that I have is so much more precious and I'm using it so much more wisely and doing things I'm investing my time into the people that I love and the things that I love to do so yeah, just remember, it's it's cliche again, like we all know that our time on this earth is limited, but just don't forget it and try to invest it in the people, in the things that bring you the most value. Finally, lesson 28 is regarding sobriety because I would be remiss if I didn't talk about it at least in one of these uh, lessons. And granted, it's kind of been interwoven into all of them, but yeah, it's not really like a lesson. It's just an observation I had. So for context, I recently 
I guess it's not as recent anymore because, again, this is my third time recording this podcast, so time has passed in between the multiple recordings. But back in Austin, like right before I left, I decided to watch one of my favorite rom-coms of all time, 13 Going on 30. And when I was watching it, I realized, for one thing, that this was like the first time when I had watched it when I was closer in age to 30-year-old Jenna than I was to 13-year-old Jenna, which was trippy in itself, especially... Now that I'm 28, I was like, whoa, it's only two years away. And and I was just seeing it, I mean, for a number of reasons, I was seeing it with new eyes. And halfway through the movie, I just started sobbing, which was weird for so many reasons. For one thing, in like, I don't really cry in movies. I don't know, I cry all the, like, I cry a lot and like for all other sorts of reasons, but I've never really been a movie crier. And also, if you've seen 13 Going on 30, you'll know it's not a very sad movie. Like, yeah, it's like cute and romantic, but it's not sad. Like, it's very happy and funny. And I was like, what the hell? Like, what's wrong with me? Like, why am I crying? And then I was thinking about it. And I think the reason I got so emotional and like, oh my God, now I'm like going to cry right now. So I'll try to hold it together. But I think the reason I got so emotional is because I really saw myself in Jenna who like the Jenna that was like had the mind of a 13 year old, but was like living the life of a 30 year old. So anyone who hasn't seen this movie, first of all, what's wrong with you? Second of all, go see it. And third of all, it's basically like it's kind of like the movie Big with Tom Hanks, but 13 year old Jenna like gets like they forget like fairy dust poured on her and wishes that she was 30 and then she's like all of a sudden transported and in the body of her 30 year old self but has like the mind and energy of 13 year old and just seeing the way she navigated new york city with this just like free spirit and like not taking life too seriously and dancing at a corporate event like doing a thriller with in front of everyone i was like that wow that's what it feels like to be sober sobriety truly feels like being well maybe not 13 because 13 was a rough time but like I don't know my like 17 or 18 but you're fully an adult again it's like as close to your quote-unquote inner child as you can get and so all this is to say that like if you are feeling like like not in touch with your inner child if you're feeling like overwhelmed with anything I can't recommend it enough just like go a week or a couple days without drinking and I promise you you'll notice this shift of like just feeling lighter and feeling younger and feeling like freer than you were when you were drinking maybe that's just me but yeah (laughs) so um the the piece of advice is that sobriety is like being Jenna Rank in 13 going on 30 and yeah, that's the last one. Uh, I think we're done here and I hope you all enjoyed this episode. I hope one, if not all of the lessons have stuck with you or resonated with you in you know one way or another. I'm so excited for some of the episodes that I have recorded for this season. And you know, if you're listening to this and have somehow found my podcast and would like to be on, I'd love to have you as a guest. And yeah, I'm really excited for this year and this new chapter of my life and Thanks to everyone who listens. Bye.